Loving God, may the conversation that we have uh, bring glory to your name and inspire conversations in your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Conversation Corner, uh, which is conveniently located in the chapel of our church. Uh, On the screen, you can see this little butt end of a banner, um, which to my my mother's joy and delight is uh, the Mother's Union banner. She's the president uh, for the Diocese of Mother's Union. Uh, So that's our church's Mother's Union banner up there. But we're going to talk about God and culture. But before we do that, um, our theme uh, for this series is... Um, God is possible, our mission. And the church has probably heard me use that expression um, since this crazy season that we're living in. Um, But I pinched, like most priests, um, my material from someone else, and that was Marianne, um, who I believe pinched it from somebody else. So Marianne, can you give us a little bit of an understanding of where that phrase came from? Sure. Over the last few years, I've had the um, great opportunity to do some further study around chaplaincy studies. And one of the books I discovered early on in that process was a book called Banking God Possible, written by uh, an English vicar. And I I really loved it. The words, that phrase, making God possible, really resonated with what I was trying to do with the staff and students and community at Coomera Anglican College, where I serve as chaplain. And it really helped me to put into focus that idea that everyone within us, we, we all have those tentative seeds of uh, wanting to believe that God is possible, even if we say that we're not religious. Um, I think the most recent Australian census suggests that even if people don't call themselves religious, there's that sense that people are happy to be spiritual. So how do we make God possible for people who might describe themselves as spiritual but not religious? I think the census does remind us each time it comes around that the world is changing and um, that sense that the church has a rightful place in culture seems to be slowly eroding, um, perhaps eroding very quickly if you look at it, Um, And for us in church, looking at culture, I think, is very important. But uh, one of the things that uh, the two of us have in common is that we both grew up immersed in church culture. Um, Our fathers are are both ministers. um, And and so we grew up in a a very uh, immersed understanding of what church meant, for better and for worse, um, and for richer and poorer also. Uh, but uh, in a school, I think, I'm guessing you get a bit of an insight into what culture is like now for people who aren't connected to the church. I wonder if you could sort of give us some insight into what that's like and how different it is from perhaps the, the culture that we grew up in. Sure. I think that we're fairly confident that the demographic in our particular school, and probably most Anglican schools, is fairly reflective of the broader demographic in Australian society. There are probably less than 5% of our families who might attend church on a weekend, and yet here they are immersed in an Anglican community where we have weekly worship for students and we have uh, worship for staff. And students in every week have time in the classroom when they look at religion and um, values, education, studies. And so 
it is really helpful to be mindful that it is a really small percentage of people in the broad, you know, our friends, our neighbours, the people who live in our street and our complexes, um, fewer and fewer of those people have this culture that Stuart alluded to that we grew up in. I was so um, fortunate to have Christian parents and to have a home that was formed by weekly worship and prayer and reading Bible stories at home. The, the hymns that we're singing this morning, they, they're what I grew up on and they helped to form me. In our culture, mm. the values that form people are, I think, very different from that. I think you would say that it's very much materialism and very much that sense of to be beautiful, we need to look beautiful and feel beautiful. And the advertising, the messages that we receive through social media, they are the formative influences, certainly for the students that um, I journey with day by day. And I, I, I know that the way that we're formed in those early years does impact greatly in the adults uh, that we become. And I know I'm always looking back at the way that I grew up um, and the strengths and the challenges of, of those seasons. Um, in that type of culture where, where beauty and uh, where image and where that sort of sense of worth is, is encapsulated by what we look like and how we mm. perform, um, how, how does that start to outwork in the lives of young people these days? What are some of the things that you are seeing uh, in their lives manifest in, in the way they deal with each other? I think the questions that young people ask are probably the same as the questions that we all ask. Am I enough? And mm. am I loved? And probably in that reverse order. Am I loved? And am I enough? And so to be enough, we need to achieve and we need to look good. Um, and there's incredible pressure, don't you think? Isn't that what you see? Um, yeah, yeah, I always have pressure to look good. That's, uh, <laughs> I was actually talking about the, um, the young people that you encounter in your, in your family life Absolutely, and yeah. in your time at All Saints and those kinds of pressures. Um, and it feeds this anxiety. I think there's this incredible anxiety amongst students. But I have to say that what we notice at school is that often that anxiety is also fed by parents wanting their kids to look good and to achieve. And there's incredible pressure. So there's always this question, am I enough? Mm. And so our, our culture, our culture, our Christian culture, our, the healthy, life-giving culture from within the church needs to be this message. Mm. You are loved because you are known and you are enough. And I'm sure you've experienced that that's always present in church world, isn't it? That culture that oh, you only. are always <laughs> loved and always enough, and there's never ne any negativity. Mm. How, I mean, one of the things I've always worried about is that, that, that we say that, that this is what the church does, mm. and we know that this is what the world needs and is longing for. I, I was uh, reading a, a story a couple of days ago about a young mum who got TikTok for her 12-year-old daughter, and within a week, the whole um, mannerism framework identity of that child had changed and she was in tears, basically asking, am I enough? Am I pretty enough? 
Um, and so we'd love to think that we'll come to church and, and it'll be all different, but, but I worry sometimes that, that we actually aren't any different to culture um, and that in our own way we've become consumed by this sense that, hey, we're not enough either. Um, I wonder whether in terms of exploring this passage about who God is and who we are in God and what is God's and what is Caesar's, whether we might be able to find a little bit of a clue in that, in that space about what is enough. Um, well, you've also been reading a book, I think, Stuart. Yeah, yeah. That I, um, probably well, has something to say. Yeah, well, I, I mean, when, when I say reading, I do most of my reading in my ears at the moment through audio books. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things that really has jumped out of at me as I've been exploring this is that everything that we are, whether it's good, bad, ugly, indifferent, incomplete, actually belongs to God. And, and I think one of the challenges at the moment is, is culture is so powerful. Um, and particularly in the world that we're living in, we, ha- we are actually ordered by our governments more than we ever have in, in my lifetime. So there's a real clash saying which part of my life belongs to God and which part of my life belongs to the Queensland government or the Australian government or the world in which we live in. Um, But I I wonder whether if we could actually think that in my response to the the restrictions that I'm living with, I'm actually honouring that part of me that belongs to God as well and whether that can be actually impactful to those around me. Mm. I think that's really helpful for young people. We, um, at school, we base uh, what we're doing around growing in mind, heart, soul and strength. So trying to say that we are whole people and we have all of these aspects of our lives. And I think perhaps one of the ways that uh, church and culture has been unhelpful is dividing everything off. And even in this question, uh, this passage we read this morning, there's like the, the Pharisees were wanting Jesus to give the right answer mm-hmm. so that they could, or they were really wanting him to give the wrong answer so that they could uh, have something to accuse him. They were always wanting to corner Jesus and saying there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer. There are good people, there are bad people. Trying to um, divide off Whereas Jesus seemed to be inviting people to come uh, as broken as they are and to say that in you, in me, you will find wholeness. And so for our young people in this culture of are you enough, Jesus invites them and us to come and to find that fullness of life that Jesus is, that Jesus came to show us in showing us the fullness of God. And don't you think that there's this capacity through uh, what we have to offer um, grounded in that understanding of God that now more than ever, that we as people who gather to worship the living God, we have that opportunity in our daily lives to offer a way for people to see themselves, to move into a place of wholeness, getting help along the way, we all need help along the way, but mm. to come into that place of wholeness where our lives are not divided off and we live in the, from this place of, yep, I'd like to be better, I, there are things about me I'd like to change, but I am enough, I'm known and loved by the living God. And I think we see, in, particularly in the, um, the epistles in, 
in the New Testament, how the early church responded and how infectious that was. That culture that we actually are enough. And when you think about the type of people that gathered in that early church, they were the type of people that culture said, you're not enough. Women, slaves, the marginalised. And, and so I think when we start to live, as you uh, described there, as whole people, that actually makes God possible for others. It does. We don't need to do anything more or less. So I'm going to pray um, because our time on my timer says that we're enough <laughs> and we've said enough. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are enough in you. We thank you that everything we are, whether it is our brokenness or our achievements, is of you and can be used for your glory to reveal your love. We pray that your church might not be so consumed by a sense that we are uh, the moral uh, bastion of society and, and more concerned for how your love is reflected in our lives. We pray that we might, through our response and through our wholeness and your love in our lives, make God possible for others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.